God, gracious God, we thank you for the love that you have for us. And we thank you for the saving grace you have given us in Christ Jesus. We thank you for your word. And as we come to your word this morning, let us be filled with ever greater love for you, greater ever love for Christ Jesus. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I know this is a big golfing community, right? And um, I like golf, but I don't play. One, because I'm, I'm really bad at it. Uh, but I've also had back surgery, so I don't play. But I, I like to watch it. And when you watch it on TV, it's really interesting to listen to crowd noises. I don't know if you've ever listened to, to crowd noises for golf. When the person is at the tee and they hit a good shot, there's lots of applause, cheering, go straight, go straight. And, you know, and people are cheering very loudly. And then on the fairway, not so much because there aren't as many people on the fairway. But once you get to the green, right? Oh, that's where the crowd noises really come up. So everybody's quiet, especially if it's like the 18th hole. The game's tied. It's the winning putt, right? So the golfer is up there, and he takes his time, and the crowd is quiet. And he hits it, eyes it up carefully, hits it. And you're, oh, you know, going, going. And the ball's rolling towards the hole, and then it stops just an inch. And everybody goes, oh. It was close, but not close enough. And there's a big difference between being close and being in, right? So the reason I bring this up is because in our gospel account today, the scribes gives this answer, gives a, an, a response to Jesus. But Jesus says, you are not far from the kingdom of God. He doesn't say you're in the kingdom of God. He says you're not far. You see, there is a large difference between being near the kingdom of God and being in the kingdom of God. A lot of people rely on something other than Jesus and the gospel to get into the kingdom of God. And if you are relying on something other than Jesus and the gospel, you are close, say it with me, but not close enough. So today we're going to take a look at this account, okay? And it's going to first start off with a lawyerly test from Mark chapter 12, verse 28. And one of the scribes came up and heard them disputing with one another, seeing that he answered them well. And asked him, which commandment is the most important of all? So the context here is that Jesus has already made his triumphal entry into Jerusalem. And he has upset the cart. Both spiritually and literally, he's upset the temple. And in Mark chapter 11, so just the chapter before our reading, it says, and he was teaching and saying to them, Is it not written, My house shall be called a house of prayer for all the nations, but you have made it a den of robbers. And the chief priests and scribes heard it and were seeking a way to destroy him, for they feared him, because all the crowd 
was astonished at his teaching. So you had the chief priests, the scribes, the Pharisees, the Sadducees. In essence, all of the teachers of Israel. And they were afraid of him because he was teaching in a way that greatly surpassed anything that they were teaching. But they were lawyers, especially the scribes, the scribes, the Pharisees. They were the lawyers of the day. So what did they do? They asked Jesus basically test questions about the law. Here's the slide for that. The scribes and Pharisees tested Jesus by asking questions on the law. In essence, they gave him an oral board exam. If we were on the golf course, they would put a tee down in a ball and say, okay, Jesus, hit that one. And so they asked him, all right, do you have to pay taxes to Caesar? Or should it just all go to God? And so Jesus, Mark chapter 12, verse 17 Render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and to God the things that are God. He hit a hole in one, and they marveled at him. Then they tried to get him on marriage and the resurrection. They basically gave him a really kind of spiritual math test. There was a woman who was married. Her husband died. Then she married a brother, and he died, and then so on and so on and so on. And by the time she had died, she had been married to seven Men, and so at the resurrection, who was to be her husband? This really is like a spiritual question. Do you get it? Uh, It's like that math problem. Two trains traveling, one from New York, one from Los Angeles. Or how many angels can dance on the head of the pin? But Jesus is not tricked by this. He says, is Is this not the reason you are wrong? Because you know neither the Scriptures nor the power of God. So they keep probing, they keep testing, and they're amazed because he keeps hitting it directly, whole in one, a perfect answer. Perfect answer. And now the scribe, you know, very well versed in the law, And there were 613 laws. Remember the other week I talked about on the Sabbath rest, all the various laws? One of the laws, you could not bathe for fear when water fell off it. Uh, Sorry, you could not bathe for fear when the water fell off you, it might wash the floor. That was one of those rules, the laws, right? If a candle was lit, you couldn't put it out. If it was lit, you couldn't light it. So the scribe knew all these things. But there was one question that they loved to get into detail, which is the greatest commandment. So it's as, it's as, if, it's as if the scribe set up the ball, knowing that it was the hardest question of all. Jesus, what's the greatest commandment of all? What would you say to that? This is what Jesus said. The most important is, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. The second is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. He gave a perfect answer. And what you find is the greatest aspect of the law is twofold. 
It is love for God and love of others. And I mentioned this numerous times, but Jesus is quoting the Shema. Hear, O Israel, and it's from Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4 through 9. Shema, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. You shall love your Lord, your God, with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And these words that I command you shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children. You shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. You shall bind them as signs on your hands and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. This was how important this was. And every observant Jew then and today recites the Shema in the morning and in the evening. It speaks about the uniqueness of God. All the other pagan religions had multiple gods. But it said the Lord God, Yahweh, is one. And Jesus said, quoting the Shema, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind and all your strength. That's the love you are to have with God. This isn't a casual love, is it? This is an all-devoted love. I mean, was there anything left out there? There isn't, is it? It is complete love. And we talked about this last Sunday. That love is the agape love. It is the self-sacrificial love that comes from God himself. This isn't a casual love. This isn't a Sunday-only love. This isn't a glancing every once in a while love. This is a full, devoted love, an all-encompassing love. Because what does it say? With all your heart and all your soul and all your mind and all your strength, there is nothing left out. It is a complete complete love and devotion to God. I mean, we don't think about that much. But that's the depth, the breadth, the love, and the greatest of the commandments is to love God. And then Jesus does something that no other rabbi had done. He now connects that with this The second is, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Here he's quoting Leviticus. You shall not hate your brother in your heart, but you shall reason frankly with your neighbor, lest you incur sin because of him. You shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge against the sons of your own people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. We're not only not supposed to hate not supposed to have a grudge. We are to love our neighbor. And that agape love supersedes even the people that we despise. This is why Jesus gave that, uh, that, that example about the Good Samaritan. It wasn't just about doing a nice deed. That wasn't it. It was loving somebody, showing compassion and mercy on another person whom you despise. 
So it is a great, great love that he is talking about. This is reiterated other places. We covered this also last week. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. That's from 1 John chapter 4. You see, what Jesus did in responding to the scribe, he got to the very essence of the Ten Commandments, which is love. Love is the very essence of the Ten Commandments. The first three are about loving God. And the others, then, are about loving each other. But it's not just love. It expresses a perfect love. A perfect love of God. And a perfect love for one another. You see, when you get to the height, depth, and breadth of that, it should give you pause. I mean, I love people, but I don't know if I've loved perfectly. Maybe for a nanosecond, and then it slips by. So God is talking about the perfect love you are to have for him and the perfect love for one another. It says, Jesus answered perfectly. It was a perfect answer. And so the scribe is impressed by this. And the scribe said to him, you are right, teacher. You have truly said that he is one and that there is no other beside him. And to love him with all the heart and with all the understanding, with all the strength, and to love one's neighbor as oneself is much more than all whole burnt offerings and sacrifices. Now, I can understand that first part, right? But what's he getting at regarding uh, is much more than all whole burnt offerings and sacrifices. Well, the scribe, knowing Scripture well, was referring to other parts of Scripture. For example, example Hosea chapter 6, verse 6, For I desire steadfast love and not sacrifice, the knowledge of God rather than burnt offerings. Or you could have First Samuel chapter 15, verse 22, And Samuel said, Has the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices, as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Rather, to obey is better than sacrifice, and to listen than the fat of rams. Now, the scribe and all of Israel knew how important sacrifices were because they were commanded by God that they were to offer these sacrifices. But what Jesus is pointing out is that the sacrifices really are a foreshadow, a foreshadow of God's love, grace, forgiveness, and mercy. We talked about this, uh, about God's great love. We talked about this last week, the Hesed love that God has. Exodus chapter 34, the Lord passed before him and proclaimed the Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger, 
abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgressions and sins. His steadfast love allows, gives him. Actually, let me, let me back up. His steadfast love, when we receive that, we receive it through a forgiveness of sin. That's the better way to say that. And what did sacrifices do? Sacrifices only point to God's gracious love and forgiveness, of, and forgiveness towards sinners. So Jesus gives this answer, right? It's another perfect hole-in-one, a perfect answer. And the scribe is like, okay, let me see. He's on the green, you know, the scribe's on the green. Let me see if I can hit this in. And he lines it up very carefully, hits it. And it's close, but not close enough. Because what did Jesus say to the scribe? And when Jesus saw that he answered wisely, he said to him, You are not far from the kingdom of God. And after that, no one dared to ask him any more questions. So why didn't Jesus say, That's a great answer? That's a, that's a good answer. I mean, it is a good answer, right? It is a good answer. Why didn't he say, yeah, you're in the kingdom of God? But he didn't, did he? He said, you are near the kingdom of God. I mean, what more was there? Remember, the scribe was a lawyer. And so he was basing his answer on the law, not the gospel. The scribe was still relying on the law and not the gospel for his salvation. Okay, so when we take a look at the Old Testament, right, we've got the Ten Commandments there, we've got the law, and the law tells us what we are to do and what we are not to do. Take a look at the Ten Commandments. You shall have no other gods before me, right? You shall not take my name in vain. You shall honor the Sabbath. Those are all about loving God. And the rest, then, are about loving one another. You shall honor your mother and father. You shall not commit adult, uh, murder. You shall not commit adultery, and so forth. So the law tells us what we should or shouldn't do. But the law, remember, reflects God's perfect moral nature, his love towards us and the perfect love that we are to have towards him and each other. Here's the problem. The scribe was relying on how well he could keep those commandments. And most people in this day and age, in many churches, rely on how well you can keep the commandments for your salvation. Okay, people say, okay, good. I'm supposed to be a good person, right? I'm supposed to follow the Ten Commandments. And if I do that, I'm in, right? I mean, that's what a lot of, really, that's what a lot of people say. I try to be a good person. Now, uh, if you've been here a while, you know that I like to give the good person quiz. 
So if somebody says they're a good person, and we have visitors today, so why not, right? The good person quiz. I'm just going to use the Ten Commandments to find out if you're a good person or not. You can all take the quiz. I've never passed it. Maybe you will. Uh, have you ever taken something that's not yours? Yeah. And when you take something that's not yours, you're a thief, right? Okay. Uh, what, have you uh, ever, let's see, uh, have you ever disobeyed your parents? Yes. That would be rebellion, wouldn't it? Have you ever used God's name in a way that shouldn't be used? That's called blasphemy. Have you ever told a lie? Yes, right? <laughs> Do you feel the weight of the law on this, right? Oh, 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 yes. So you're not only a thief, you're a lying, thieving, blasphemous, rebellious person at heart. How does that make you good? But people say, but I try hard, right? I try really hard to be a good person. Doesn't that count for anything? And if we were on the golf course, we would say close, but not close enough. You are near the kingdom, but not in the kingdom. Now you might say, okay, so what does this have to do with love? I thought we were talking about the greatest commandments. Love, right? Here's what people do. They say, the only thing I have to be concerned about to be a Christian is to love God and love each other. That's all that Christianity is. Now, should we love God and each other? Yes. But if you say, all I have to do is love God and love each other, are you under the law or the gospel? You're under the law. Because the law says you must perfectly love God and perfectly love one another. And I don't know about you, I only know one person who's ever done that, and his name is Jesus. See, what's missing from that, if you, and a lot of people do this, oh, all I have to do to be a Christian is love God, love each other. Okay, great. How are you doing on that? You loving the neighbor you despise? Do you love God with all your heart, your soul, your mind, your strength? Well, I try. Well, good. You're close, but not close enough. Now, does love have something to do with the gospel? Yeah. Because God's love for us, God's love for us is the impetus for the gospel. Just go to John chapter 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. God loved, and thus the action he sent his son, right? But the gospel says you must receive this by faith, that whosoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. And thus, faith is how we receive the gospel. It's not about how hard we've tried to love. It's about faith in him who loved us perfectly and gave his life for us. You know this one too, right? Ephesians chapter 2, 8, eight 9. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. 
Look, the only thing you can boast in as a Christian, the only thing you can boast in is the great love that God has for you in Christ Jesus. Galatians chapter 6, verse 14. But far be it from me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. It is by faith you receive the gospel, the good news. And when you receive the good news and receive Jesus as Lord and Savior, are you near or in? You're in. You see, to be in the kingdom of God is to believe in him who is the king. And his name is Jesus. There are so many people in churches nowadays and around the world that are still trying to work their way into the kingdom. And they are under the law. But as from our reading in Galatians, it says, but Christ has set you free. So you have the gospel. Don't go back under the yoke of the law. Now, because of the gospel, do we love each other? Yeah, the impetus for our love of God and our love for each other is because of Christ Jesus and the gospel. That's the impetus. That's how it works. So when you receive him, when you receive the gospel, Jesus, to use my golf analogy if I can, Jesus made a hole-in-one for you. All right. Two things for you. You need to be able to explain this to yourself and then somebody else. What's the difference between being near or in the kingdom of God? You need to clarify that for yourself. And then the second question for you is, if somebody asked you, why are we supposed to love, could you give them a gospel-centered answer rather than going back to just the law? Let's pray. Gracious God, Heavenly Father, we thank you for the love that you have for us. We thank you for Jesus and his cross. And we pray for the Holy Spirit to keep us growing in our faith, ever clinging to the cross, ever clinging to the gospel. This I pray in Jesus' name, amen.